Well, if you're new here with us, uh, we tend to go through books of the Bible uh, when we do our sermon series, and we're starting a new series today uh, called Follow, and this is uh, really a return uh, to the book of Luke. We were in the, uh, Luke uh, chapters 3 and 4 in the spring, and uh, for the fall, we're going to be going through Luke's, uh, Luke 5 and 6, and uh, the reason it's called Follow is because uh, we're going to begin today especially with the, the call of the first disciples, when Jesus He's sort of starting his ministry, and then he, he makes a specific call to a group of guys, in this case, in particular, Peter, and says, uh, you know, I want you to follow me. I want you to leave whatever you're doing and, and come and follow me because there's a mission that I have from God, and, um, and, and I, I want some disciples, some, some who would genuinely follow me and help me to fulfill this mission. Now, the truth is that everyone who uh, is a Christian is called to follow Jesus. And so as we look back at this sort of opening chapter in terms of disciples and what it means to be a true disciple, uh, it's helpful for us just to get some context in terms of how it all began, but also because it, we gain insight into the nature of our call right now, into how it is that we who, who claim to know and follow Jesus, how we can do that faithfully, how we can do that wholeheartedly and fruitfully. And so we are going to turn to Luke 5, uh, verses 1 to 11, and uh, we're going to see this, this call on Peter's life and also see how it informs our own call to follow Jesus uh, with our entire lives. So uh, I'm going to read from uh, Luke 5, starting with verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, this is Jesus, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. And their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners on the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats, so they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. That's God's word to us this morning. And we're going to work through it, as we tend to do, in three parts. Uh, all to do with what it means to truly follow Jesus. So uh, here are the three points ahead of time. Number one, true followers listen to Jesus. Secondly, true followers turn from sin. And thirdly, true followers leave everything behind. So we'll begin at the start. True followers listen to Jesus. Uh, this is kind of obvious that if you're going to come to faith in anything or come to, to change your life for anything, you, f- you first need to hear what it's about. Right? You need to listen, you need to understand what what the truth claims are, what the promises are, what what you're getting yourself into. In our day, it's fairly easy, especially in our part of the world, right? If we want to know what it is that Jesus is saying or what the Bible says, we we, we have a Bible. Generally, we can get access to it. There are apps you can get. There's online versions. We can have conversations. We can come together as the church. Uh, It's fairly easy to learn some of what Jesus is saying. But back then, there there was really only one way. I mean, apart from word-of-mouth conversation about what Jesus might have said, if you wanted to, to hear from Jesus, you had to go. You had to go find him preaching, and that's what we see at the beginning of our text. You see in verses 1 through 3, uh, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God. 
That's why they were there. They wanted to come, and so there was a, a, a crowd gathering. And because there were so many, uh, by verse 3, he sat down in a, a boat, right? So that, that there was a kind of a natural amphitheater, and he could speak to a lot of people. It seems that by this point, many, many people were very interested in hearing about Jesus. Uh, some so much so that they would miss a day of work to come and, and sit by the lakeside and hear him preach. Now, Simon Peter, uh, he's got two names. Simon Peter was there, but you don't get the sense that he was completely interested. I say that because he, he hadn't, I mean, he was just there working, right? He had gone out all night fishing. He'd, he'd come, he was mending his nets, and he was, he was listening. He was there. In fact, he even let Jesus use his boat. But we don't get the sense that he was like listening with all ears. I mean, he must have been tired. He, he had kind of other things he was doing, but, but he was somewhat interested in what Jesus had to say. He, how could he not be? I mean, Jesus had spoken in his synagogue. He had seen him heal. He had seen him cast out demons. He, everyone would, would have been somewhat interested. But there's a difference between sort of an intellectual curiosity and, and, a, and a real openness in terms of listening to the words of Jesus. And that difference plays out in terms of those of us who will, who will actually follow him. See, eventually, we have to come to a point where the listening gets deeper. All of us probably, especially if you were older when we, we came to faith, if you're here and you're a believer, that there was probably a time when you, you listened at first with kind of from a distance, right? kind of interested in, in what the Bible says, what Jesus says, but, but kind of from a safe distance. But there was a point where it came to be something that applied to you personally. And that shift from, from sort of a general understanding to something that, that actually affects you personally, that changes your life, that, that's a difficult shift to make. And we see here that it's, it's really Jesus that kind of pushes Peter in that direction. He, he kind of forces him to, and he does it by invading Peter's personal life, the, the area of life that he was in charge of. Look at verses uh, 4 and 5. Uh, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we, we told all night. We, we got nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. You can sort of hear in Peter's tone there, I think, what he thought of this suggestion, this command of Jesus. Like, Jesus, I don't, I don't know if you know, but I, I fish for a living. So I, we go at night because the fish come up to the surface of the lake. That's when you can, you can catch them. Right now, it's the middle of the day. You're not going to catch any fish. Besides that, we were out all night. We're tired. You sort of get the sense that, that Peter's saying, like, I'm, I'm comfortable, Jesus, when you're speaking in the synagogue. Even when I invite you over to my home, that's great. I love that. I'm comfortable there for you to, to heal and to do amazing things in the midst of our town. Man, that's great. I, I love that. No problem with that. But I'm not so comfortable when you, when you invade my personal space. When you make a, a claim or a demand on some area that, that is mine. Like that I have expertise in. You can get the sense that Peter is very reluctant and yet he, he goes along with it. There's sort of an underlying sense of Jesus. I mean, what, what right do you have really to, to push me in this direction? And of course, Jesus' unspoken response is, well, well, I have every right, Peter. Peter, your whole life belongs to me. Let down the nets. See what happens when you listen to me with, with an open mind and open heart, willing to even shape your life after what my words say. Let's see what happens, Peter, when you let down your, your nets as I command. 
And what happens, of course, is, is life-changing. But notice that Peter, is, he's very, very uncomfortable. And I think it's helpful for us to think about that lack of comfort for a moment because I think all of us feel this lack of comfort when there's someone who puts a demand on our lives. In fact, I think we're very practiced at keeping a safe distance because there's people all over that, that want stuff from us. They want our time. They want our energy. They want, I mean, every time you open the door, there's someone who's got a great cause that they want you to donate to. There's, there's things that they want, you know, people want us to invest time in. There are diets that people want us to just, if you would do this, it's changed my life. You just can't eat any broccoli. It's, it's fantastic. And, and the things that people ask of us, we, we get practiced at listening from a distance, right? We hear, we nod, we smile. I kind of like broccoli. I think I might. We're, not, we're listening, but we're not necessarily open-hearted to it. The problem is, if we get in the habit of that, there are going to be certain messages, certain voices that we, that we need to hear. We need to hear with an open mind, an open heart, a willingness to change. Like, for example, only a fool would listen to the counsel of your medical specialist with sort of a casual ear. Yeah. I might listen, I might not. Right? It's foolish. A friend of mine was in that situation where he had gone up north uh, on like a winter family winter vacation, and uh, he'd been out all afternoon playing pond hockey. And so he came in and his, and his toes were like, they were like white. They, they, he couldn't feel them for like hours and he was very concerned. So they went to the ER and they also were very concerned. They said, this doesn't look good. This looks like frostbite. There's not enough circulation there. And so they gave him some blood thinners to try to get, you know, the blood going back into his toes. He came down uh, to the lower mainland to his family doctor and his family doctor said, look, this, this is really bad. You, you have to take the next two weeks off of work. You have to keep this foot off. You can't walk on it. It's, I'm concerned for it. And my friend responded how maybe some of us, us would respond. Two weeks off of work? Doc, you don't, you don't understand. I'm self-employed. I, 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 wasn't, I can't take two weeks off of work. I mean, how bad could it be, Doc? And the, he said, well, no, that's fine. It's up to you. You just, you know, you may lose your toes, but that's, that's fine. It's, it's your choice. And see, the reason that my friend was so uncomfortable is because it's one thing for a doctor to give you general medical counsel, but then to, to push into your private life. To like say, like right now, like call tomorrow, cancel all your clients. That, that feels very uncomfortable because there are certain areas of our life that, that we're in charge of, that we're used to making the call. But of course, my friend, he listened because he trusted the doctor. He trusted his motives. He trusted his wisdom. And because he saw the danger was real. I mean, I saw his toes. They were, they was bad shape. We were worried for they're all like black. Anyway, so it was not good. So he, he saw the danger, and so he heeded the, the counsel. In, in our story, Jesus doesn't give any explanation for the call. He just says, let down your nets, the, the demand on, on Peter's time. And what we see, though, is that regardless, there's no explanation, but Peter did trust him. He called him master. He had seen him at work. He'd seen him heal. He heard him teach. And so through the act of truly listening, of actually of hearing the words, hearing the command, and allowing it to affect his life, Peter saw himself, and he saw Jesus more clearly. In fact, it was, it was life-changing. So before we move on to the response, the, the, the effects of this call, it, it's, I think, good for us to, to stop for a minute and, and I mean, think about the way that you listen to the Word of God, the way that you listen to Jesus. If you're honest, are you, 
Are you listening from a distance most of the time? Like, are you, are you listening with a sort of a safe buffer? Thinking, man, that's, a, that's an interesting point for certain people, but, but not really thinking about how it would affect you. Do you listen with an open heart? Do, do you genuinely consider what it is that Jesus is calling you to? And are you, are you open to it, or are you very guarded? Are, are you seeking comfort rather than the truth that comes from God? Because what we see here is that Jesus is always going to be speaking words into our lives that shape us and change us and demand something of us. And for those who follow Jesus, that's, that's part of what it means to follow him. It's listening with an open ear rather than a, than a guarded heart. So, so in light of that, in light of the, the true listening, what is it that we see? Well, we also see, our second point, is that true followers then turn from sin this is one of the effects of genuinely listening to the words of Jesus. We see this uh, starting in verse 6, Luke 5. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with him. Now, this is very clearly a miracle. I mean, it's amazing. We're going to see a number of these throughout the, the Gospels, of these nature miracles where, where Jesus asserts his authority over the fish or, or whatever is there, and yet the response of Peter is kind of strange. You would think that he would say, Wow, this is amazing. How did you, how did you do that? This is incredible. All these fish, I can't believe it. He'd be really excited, but he's, he's not. He's immediately broken in his sin. He falls on his knees. He, he just, you can sense his conscience breaking and his, his heart is heavy with, with his sin. He's in moral agony. And it seems very strange, unless, unless you've read other parts of scripture where you've seen what happens when a human being comes into the presence of God. Because what we see is that this is the typical response. This is... This is usually what happens when someone realizes that they are in the presence of the divine. Here's one other example. There's a few more, but here's from Job. Uh, if you know Job's story, he was dialoguing with God himself. And here's what he says uh, in Job 42, 5 and 6. He says, I had heard of you, speaking to God, I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust, dust and ashes. See, Job all of a sudden beheld the glory and the wonder and the perfection of God. And in that, that light shone on his own heart. The purity of God was contrasted with his own impurities and he, he was broken. Just like Peter on the lake for a moment, he beheld Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God in holiness and purity. And all of a sudden, he was so keenly aware of all his failings so much so that he was just like, Jesus, you have to leave. I can't, I can't bear to be in your presence because I see how wretched I am and horrible I am. He felt the weight of guilt for all the wrongs he had done. And I think we know that feeling. I mean, maybe not to that extent, but we know that it feels horrible to recognize our guilt. It feels terrible. That, that's why we usually avoid it or, or deny it. In fact, that's what our... The prevailing wisdom of our culture is, man, if you feel guilty, you just, you just need to get past that. If, if you feel like someone's heaping, you know, talking about the wrong thing, man, you just need to, you can't let them put that on you. Right? It's weighing you down. You don't want that. They want to kind of just 
push it aside. But it's never a good idea to push aside your guilt. It never goes well. I came across a story this week that, that really speaks to this. Um, I was listening to a, a podcast about this reporter who uh, spent a year inside the criminal courthouse of Cleveland, Ohio. How would you like to do that? So she went there because she wanted to get a window into the U.S. judicial system. So she was there, and she describes the scene of this young man, one of the cases. His name's Greg Rucker, and, um, and he had been charged with six counts of uh, armed robbery. A real, I mean, it was very serious. And the judge, they were about to start the trial. The judge was trying to convince him um, to, to think about pleading out his case. Uh, because of the severity of what he was charged with. He was saying, look, you're a young guy. You're in your early 20s. Um, if you plead this out, you, you could serve maybe five to six years. But if you don't, if this goes to trial, um, you could be in jail for 30 plus years. You may not get out in, until you're in your 50s. And, and this is what the judge said. What made it worse is there was a lawyer that was appointed to him, but he, didn't, he wanted to represent himself. And so the judge said, how foolish can you be? How prideful? Think about it. We're about to select a jury. And when there was a break in the, in the action, uh, there was one friend that had been there to, to support this young guy. And the reporter went over to talk to the friend and said, man, it really seems like Greg should think about this. Like, this seems really serious. And his buddy said, man, you don't know Greg. Man, when, when he gets pushed, he, he just pushes back. He digs in his heels. There's, there's no way that he's going to back down. Meaning, he's not going to admit his guilt. If he's adamant that he's innocent, there's no one that's going to make him admit that. And so that's what happened. That They went to trial. They, they chose a jury. And before long, the prosecutor, prosecutor had played a tape of him talking about the crimes that he committed with his, with his friend. Craig was totally guilty. And because he would not admit it, in the refusing to admit it, things got so much worse. And that's always the way it is. When we feel that, that twinge of conscience for whatever it is, things big or small, if we ignore it, if we push it aside, it never goes better. In fact, what we need to do is see it from, from God's point of view, from a biblical point of view, and recognize that even though guilt feels horrible, it's actually God's blessing. It's God's grace for us to see clearly an area of our lives that we need to deal with. It gives us the opportunity to deal with our sin. I mean, Peter, he had that. He felt the weight of his guilt. It's just that he didn't know what to do with it. He, he could see the holiness of Jesus, but he didn't yet know his grace. And so he was just like, ah, I feel horrible. Jesus, you have to leave. I can't bear this anymore. And so Jesus' words are, are meant to comfort him. He says, he says in Luke 5.10, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And what he's saying is, look, look don't be afraid. Even in your guilt, even though you have, you have reason to fear the consequences of it, you need not be afraid because I have come to bring life and hope. Now, the hope is a little veiled here in this moment. But in that phrase that from now on you'll be catching men, that the Greek words there, if you were to read it in the Greek, it would be a little more hopeful because it would be a little clearer. In the Greek, it's two words mashed together. One of them is to hunt. So that's, that's obvious that the catching. But another word is life. And so really what Jesus says is we are going to be catching men for life, which is different than catching fish, right? Catching fish, they're, they're dead, right? Because we want to eat them. So that, to catch fish, so that's, he's trying to make a, a contrast for Peter. We are going to be catching men and women and children, human beings for life because I've come to bring life. I haven't come to bring condemnation for your sin. 
He says this in John 3, 17. Uh, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is the grace that Jesus is bringing that, that in time will become very, very clear. That yes, he has come so that we might see our sin clearly, but even more so, he's come to bring relief, to bring help, to bring an answer to that weight of guilt. Because he knew, Peter didn't know yet, but he knew the road they were going on would lead to the cross where Jesus would take all of, that, all of that guilt, all of that condemnation upon himself so that there would be life beyond that guilt, beyond the death that should come and be ours because of our sin. And so Jesus is, is comforting Peter and calling him to, to a mission that is all about the hope of God rather than the condemnation. And that's why when we turn away from sin, our only hope is to turn towards Jesus something that Peter, he learned in time. In fact, there's a beautiful uh, sort of bookend to this scene. And it's beautiful because it comes at the very end of the Gospels, in the Gospel of John, but it's at the very same place. It's on the very same shoreline. Uh, This comes after all of the ministry of Jesus, after uh, Jesus was arrested. I mean, he'd spent three years with Peter and the other disciples, but then he's arrested falsely, he's accused, he's brought to trial, He's put to death, and this is after Peter, who said, Lord, I'm going to be with you to the end. Peter denied him. Peter Peter was crushed once again by his his weakness and his failing, and all the disciples, they just, they scattered. Because Jesus was dead. The hope was lost. And so not surprisingly, Peter and his buddies, they went back to doing what they had done before. They came and found their fishing boats that they had left. I don't know if they were still there, but in the village, and they, they started to fish again. And they were out all night. They hadn't caught anything. You can see the parallels. And then look what happens in the morning. This is in John 21. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. You see the difference? There, Peter, he he was already aware of his sin. In in a very like manner, Jesus filled the nets full of fish, demonstrating who he was, but this time, Peter, he put on his cloak and he jumped into the water and made a beeline to be in the presence of Christ. He wanted to be right there with him because now he saw not only his holiness, he saw his grace. He knew that Jesus' disposition, his, his feelings toward all who were in sin was one of sacrificial love, that he had gone to the cross for him and that he had come back to life. And, and Peter, he was no longer hesitant. He, he didn't want Jesus to go away. He wanted to be right there close to experience the, the hope and the grace and the comfort that comes from knowing him. And this is true for each one of us. Whether you have, you've never yet repented of any of your sins. You may be here and that may be a a totally new concept to you. Or you may be here and and you feel embarrassed at how many times you've come before the Lord asking for forgiveness of the same sin. Regardless, Jesus' word to you is the same. He says, come. Come, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And by that, he means those who are heavy laden with the guilt of sin with whatever you you think you need to do in life, come, I will give you rest because I've carried it all to the cross. I've paid for it all. And so when you follow me, 
He says, my, my yoke is easy, my burden is light, meaning that there will be work to do, but I'm going to sustain you through it because of my power, because I've already paid for all of the weight that, that keeps, you, keeps you down. So we are to listen truly to what Jesus has to say. We are to turn from our sin. We need to do that. But the third thing, the third thing is this, true followers leave everything behind. Now that phrasing uh, seems a bit melodramatic, I think. Seems like it should be on a poster somewhere with a, with a sunset or something like that. Like, true followers leave everything behind, right? It's like, okay. But it's, it is essential. It's essential to truly following Jesus. The, the, the guys there in our story, they hadn't yet come to the point where they had decided, you know, all or nothing, whether we're going with this rabbi or not. They hadn't had to because Jesus was just kind of always around, right? They're doing their work. He was in the synagogue. He went off to other towns. He came back. They, they kind of felt like, well, we got some time. Right? It's interesting what he's saying, but we got some time to figure it out. We don't really need to decide now whether we're going to be disciples, followers of this new young rabbi. But then a moment came when they had to decide. And the moment came because Jesus pushed them. Right? Look back at verses 10 and 11. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. The implicit invitation is things are going to change. If you're going to go with me, this is what we're going to be doing. In the book of Matthew, Jesus just says to them, follow me. He, he, he sort of pushes them. You have to make the decision. Either you are going to believe in me and you're, you're going to follow me with your whole life or you're not. But now is the time to make your choice. This is always a dramatic moment. And the truth is that it, it happens for everyone who is a Christian, everyone who's a believer. In fact, it, it very often happens a few times throughout our journey where there's a moment where we have to decide whether we are going to we're going to really heed the call of Christ, heed the direction of the Lord. It's a moment where you genuinely step forward in faith, not just sitting back, not just considering the claims of, of whatever's being said in, in the word at a given time, but but genuinely saying Jesus, my whole life is yours. Sometimes it happens immediately. I remember one time speaking with a young boy, uh, I was uh, did day camp ministry for, for many, many years, and uh, he was like a 10, 11-year-old boy, and there was a time in the week when we said, hey, if you want to know more about Jesus, we've been talking about you know, God's love and the gospel all week long, uh, come forward, uh, come off to the side, and we'll, we'll talk, we'll pray with you. And he came forward, and he, and he said, I, I want to become a Christian. And so I said, oh, that's, that's great. I talked to him, asked him some questions, you know, and, and he knew what he believed. He knew who Jesus was. He knew that he had died for his sins. He recognized, admitted that he was sinful, that he needed his sacrifice. But I said, uh, is your family religious? Like, do you go to church? And he said, well, I, we're, we're Sikh. We're, that's my family is Sikh. And so I said, well, what do you think your family's going to say if you come home and say, I, I want to follow Jesus? And he said, well, I, I think they're going to be pretty upset. And I said, well, what, what are you going to say to them? What, what are you, how are you going to explain and he kind of thought for a moment, and he, I just remember looking me in the eyes, and he said, well, I'm going to say I have to believe, because it's true. And see, that conviction comes by the Spirit of God. But there is, for some, that choice, the cost is evident. For, for many people all over the world, it's, it's immediately apparent that, that in making this decision for Jesus, right at the beginning, it means leaving family or culture behind. It, it means causing difficulty. But the conviction of the Spirit of God means that they have to follow. But many times for us here where we are, 
We can make that commitment to follow Jesus, but without any cost at first. And the challenge of that is that we may not know, do we really believe? Is, is it really something that's penetrated our heart? But there will be other things, other things that because of God's love for us, he's going to call us away from. That the, the road of following Jesus will always involve certain costs, will always involve uh, a challenge in, in certain ways, maybe not right at the beginning, but along the way. And see, Jesus never hides this. He never pretends that, man, if you just believe in me, everything is going to be sunny. You can have the life you have now, but better. It is better, but it, there's always going to be a change. He makes this really clear. Luke records this in chapter 9. Uh, it says this, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, this is Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now the language there may seem harsh. Those words may seem hard, but what Jesus is doing is he's, he's identifying an inconsistency of the heart which will make the following impossible. What he's saying is if, if you want to lay hold, grab hold to the comfort you have in life or to the situation you have in life or, or to, to whatever it is that you are gaining your, your strength and trust from and then still try to follow me, it's not going to work. You won't be able to go where I lead. And that means that you will not receive the greater blessing that I have for you. If you put your hand to the plow and, and always look back, it's not going to work. I don't really know why, but it's something about plowing that you need to, I guess the rows are curved. But what he's saying is that it's not, if you're going to be for me, you need to be for me wholeheartedly. You, you can't, there are certain things you cannot keep. Now, the, the challenge with this is that we can understand, I think, why we would need to turn from sin immediately, right? I mean, there are things in our lives that when we come to Christ, we look in the Bible and we're like, I can't, I can't do that anymore. Like, this is, this is wrong. I see it here, and so I'm, I can't continue watching that or talking like that or doing that. I, I need to turn from that sin or else it would, I would not be obedient. But fishing is not sinful. I mean, it's, it's boring, but it's not, it's not sinful, right? There's nothing wrong with fishing. So why, like, what's the deal there, Jesus? We kind of feel like saying, why is it that they had to leave their, their fishing boats behind? And the answer is that there are some things, and it's different for each one of us, that, that God is calling us to that are not inherently wrong, but because of where he wants to lead us, we, we have to leave it behind. I mean, just imagine if, if Peter and the guys, they're like, Jesus, we're in. We, we want to follow you. We love this. We just give us 20 minutes. We're just going to get one of the boats and some nets because, Jesus, wherever we're going, we're going to need to eat, right? There's probably going to be a lake. There seems to be lakes everywhere. So we're going we're gonna to fish. Uh, we can feed ourselves. We can also make a little extra money to fund the ministry. I think this is going to work out really well. Just a few minutes and we'll be on our way. Well, it's not just that that's impractical, right? The fishing boats are heavy and it doesn't make sense. The, the bigger issue is the issue of the heart. It's what it says about their trust and their hope. See, what they would be saying in that moment is, Jesus, man, we're for you, but we, we, we feel like we need to take care of some of these things on our own. Because fishing, we know. We know that wherever we go, we're going to be okay because we can feed ourselves, we can fund ourselves. And see, very often that's how we approach the call to follow Christ, that we say, man, there's some really great things you have to say, Jesus, and so I've, I mean, I've got a lot of great things to bring to the table too, so let's put these things together. It's going to be fantastic. 
And Jesus says, look, if, if you don't recognize the importance of putting me first above all other things, then this is, you're never going to truly receive the blessing that I have for you. Because that's the nature of idolatry, that we would put something else before Jesus, e- even some things that are not inherently sinful. And so the call to follow Jesus is one that is oftentimes very personal. There may be something in your life that, that you have been struggling with trying to release, something that's not a bad thing. Uh, for us in our lives, uh, there's been a few moments like this, but one thing in particular for Don and I was the shift uh, from teaching to go into full-time ministry. Uh, it was a time in our lives where I had I'd done some work at the church, but now I was a teacher, loved it, um, had a great school, great a grade that I was teaching, had plans to be a principal. We kind of had, you know, life planned out, and we were involved in the church. We were teaching Sunday school, running day camps in the summer, and then we started to feel the sense of that God was calling us into ministry, and the initial response was, we're doing that. God, you, you don't understand. Look, we, I can teach, and then also I can teach Sunday school. It, it'll be, it's great. But as we begin to pray about it, there was a a lack of peace about that. There was an increasing weight on our hearts that, that to say no to this would actually be sin because it, it would be disobeying the call of God. It's not that teaching is sinful, of course. It's that, it's that in this case, we were being asked to release something and go on to what, what God had for us. That's always going to be the case when we're following Jesus because his goal is our greatest comfort, not the comfort that we have right now not the things that, that we know and, and maybe we love or that we think are, are doing what needs to be done. Jesus says, I know you better than you know yourself. And there are things that need to be done in this world that, that, that I am doing. And so you need to heed my call for your own sake and for the sake of the lost. And so when we read texts like this, it's, it's good. It's right for us to take a step back perhaps and to be in prayer saying, God, is there, is there some, Jesus, are you calling me to something that I've been just ignoring? Is there something that, that maybe I'm, I've been dragging along with me? Something that I just, I, I can't let go of because I, it just settles me in a way that I, that I need, but Jesus, help me to, to find that in you. And it's not that we leave everything at once behind. Some of us are called to that. Those who are called to missions, praise God that they heed the call and that they, they leave most everything behind and go to, so that others would know the hope that they have in Christ that they need. I mean, that's what, that's what Jesus was saying to these guys. You need to leave everything, but it's because there's a need in the world that is so great. But what we need to recognize is that that call to follow Christ is not, is not ultimately a sacrifice. I mean, they left a lot. They, they, left, they left a catch. Like They must have been talking about that catch for, for generations to come. Nets filled to breaking point, like boats sinking. That's amazing. They left all that money. They left all that provision. They left the fishing tackle. They left their life plans, the security of the community, all that was comfortable. There's, you would say, man, they sacrificed so much. But it was not sacrifice because in following Jesus, they gained so much more. They gained a greater joy, a greater purpose, a greater hope, the joy of seeing people come to know who Jesus is and, and why he came. That's always the way it is. When we are called to follow, we are called to a greater life, not, not an easier life. That's the challenge. But one where we will know Jesus more and we will see ourselves more clearly. 
and we will gain a greater peace. And so those of us who are called to follow, we, we, we have to listen. We have to listen with open minds, open hearts, willing to be changed. We need to turn from our sin and we genuinely need to be ready to leave everything behind because we value Jesus as the best and most wonderful thing that God could give us. So let's bow in prayer. Lord God, thank you for this word. Thank you, Jesus, for all of us who have felt this call, who have turned from sin, who have come to faith in you. I pray that today would be a day when we, when we have greater confidence in that. And Lord, where you might bring to light those areas where we haven't yet turned from sin, where we haven't yet relinquished our grip on something that is, that is holding us back. I pray, God, that this would be a fruitful time one where your word does penetrate our heart and whether we co- where we come to greater obedience and faithfulness. Lord, not because, it's, not because we feel the weight of guilt and we just want to get rid of it, but because we want the joy of knowing you. We want the joy of following you fully. And because we are thankful for all that you've done to, to wipe our sins clean. And I pray also, Lord, for those who are here and, and haven't come to faith. I pray, God, that you also would have used this text to bring uh, clarity, to perhaps raise questions in their own mind and heart. And I pray, God, that their interest would grow. And, Lord, that each one of us would genuinely come to faith and genuinely follow you for your glory and for our good. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.